So call it crowdsourced surveillance, mob news reporting, the stream of pictures, tweets, amplified rumors, and retweeted theories about the investigation into the Boston bombings erupted yesterday. You may have witnessed it. We certainly did. It erupted into an explosion of -of out-of-control innuendo and false reports of arrests and suspects, reports that had to be retracted on some pretty prominent cable news networks yesterday. Nevertheless, the collective wisdom, or just the collective eyes and ears of people's cameras and digital video, offers a huge investigative resource to law enforcement. Investigators went into action hours after the bombings to try and collect every picture taken at the marathon finish line and cross-reference it with surveillance camera video and stills from the scene. Closed-circuit television footage, which has become ubiquitous in the past decade in public places around the world, is today the first draft of history. Closed-circuit cameras quietly documenting what happens in public places long before the media is even aware of the story. John Cutter joins us now from our WNYC studios in New York. He worked formerly with the NYPD's Criminal Intelligence Section on issues of counterterrorism, is now president of the company Custom Protective Services. John, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So the closed-circuit surveillance cameras of a place like Copley Square in, in Boston, it pretty much gives you a 24-7, 3-D view of uh, the block in a way that uh, even 20 years ago would have been impossible to imagine. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's the modern era, and it's something that really needs to be done. And when investigators uh, actually begin to assemble they start with something that's really quite amazing. I, I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, uh, Born movies. You know these these films, the Born Identity, Born Legacy, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know they always have a scene where they go into a room and all right, get me eyes on the ground, and boom, pictures come up. Some in some cases, live pictures come up of places all over the world. This is a reality today. Uh, it's not quite like it is in the movies. Uh, it, it it's not nearly as advanced. But it is getting there. Uh, and what happens now is you've got a tremendous amount of computer analytics that goes into these videos so that they can have spatial recognition. They can monitor individuals that appear out of the norm in a crowd such as at the marathon. Uh, from what I understand with the, uh, the pictures that are going to be coming out of the two potential persons of interest, they're clearly not interested in the marathon as they move through the crowd. And and then and, and you can really tell that from the closed-circuit uh, pictures. And then you also know what to look for when you begin asking for people to send uh, their videos and uh, their pictures, uh, tourists from the scene. You've got it narrowed down to a specific time frame, and you also know specifically where to look. Exactly. And by utilizing the, the video from all of the other people that were at the marathon, what may seem innocuous to one person on their video... Uh, when you piece them all together with whatever CCTV was available uh, commercially out there, uh, you start to see the pattern, and you'll see where the individuals were at a certain time, when they were carrying the backpack, when it was gone from their shoulder, uh, things like that that definitely will help the investigators. You know, I know you're not a lawyer, but do you foresee a time in the not-too-distant future where uh, a public place like uh, Copley Square becomes a crime scene because of a bombing like this? And the government, the federal government or law enforcement on the scene can essentially subpoena everybody's digital information from a particular time frame and a particular place. Do you foresee that? Uh, I, not in the near future, maybe in the very distant future, because you have to consider the fact that you probably had several thousand people there. Who knows exactly who's there? 
as you identify individuals and you ask them for their information, most people are going to volunteer it in this situation. They're not going to hold it back and say, oh, no, you need a subpoena to get this. If they come upon a situation where an individual doesn't want to turn over their video, uh, they may go to subpoena it. You know, they, they would have that uh, ability. Uh, but I think in a situation like this and even moving forward into the far future, anybody who's at a scene like this, the minute that they ask for something, they're going to turn it over because everybody wants to help. No, I think you're right. And in fact, we spoke with someone yesterday who was quite relieved emotionally that she was asked by the FBI at Logan Airport on her way back here to Houston to download her video and to be questioned by the FBI. But in general, does the Patriot Act and laws that were enacted after 9-11 suggest that the government owns footage and even telephone conversations in a particular crime scene when terrorism is being investigated? Are, Are we getting close to that? Uh, I I don't think so. Uh, I think we still have certain standards that have to be met legally in order for them to subpoena records or to, you know, go up on a wire uh, or to create search warrants. There still has to be a certain level that has to be reached. Uh, They're not just going to be able to subpoena broadly everybody's information that's out there because it's not relevant. And quite honestly, it's not helpful to a case If you develop too much information, the amount of time it takes you to sift through it to get to what you're really looking for could take you an extensive period of time that would just hamper the investigation. We're talking with John Cutter, formerly with the NYPD's Criminal Intelligence Section. In the social media era that we are in, are there competing investigations going on? There are places on site or online where you can look at people's kind of freelance attempts to create images of potential suspects that may have nothing to do with what the police are doing. Is that a disruption? Oh, absolutely. And and it also leads to misinformation like what happened yesterday. Uh, I've worked on a number of cases over the past several years where individuals create blogs because they have an interest and feel that they can help. You know, it's generally people are trying to help the investigators and don't realize that what they're doing is creating more of a nuisance because now you're giving additional leads that have absolutely no value or are already run down but because it's out there in the public, you have to do some work on it. That That's just not necessary, and it's a drain on your, your resources. Very quickly, are we getting close here, do you think, your sense, your gut-level sense? I think so. I, I, I think so. I, uh, I would say within a few days uh, you'll see some result. John Cutter worked formerly with the NYPD's Criminal Intelligence Section on issues of counterterrorism. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And what do you think about the aftermath of Boston? Hello, my name is Julio Lopez. I'm calling from Mesquite, Texas. I don't necessarily feel any different than I did back in 9-11. I was in New York at the time of 9-11, and I was at ground zero around the time that it went down. And as Americans, I think we're a lot more resilient than people give us credit for. Your thoughts at 877-8MY-TAKE. Stay with us. This is The Takeaway. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here and maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.